0: You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS News Feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.
1: Jonathan Nelson, Chairman of the Board of
2: Organic, goes on the record online. Schmidt and the guys from Google sat down and said, is YouTube worth 1% of our company? And my belief is, yeah, YouTube was probably worth 1% of Google at that time. And then you get that added bonus, which is on the day they did it, I think they paid 1.65 billion for for YouTube and then their their market cap went up eight billion dollars that day so the stock market clearly rewarded them for doing the deal you know 1.65 billion dollars yeah it's it's better than the sharp stick in the eye
1: and thank you for joining us for another episode of on the record online the podcast that brings you the story behind the story if this is your first time downloading an episode of this show uh, what we do typically is in-depth one-on-one interviews uh, we talk to journalists from the mainstream media, we talk to podcasters, we talk to uh, bloggers, we talk to newsmakers, and the subject is always how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as you know it. Uh, my name is Eric Schwartzman, I'm the host uh, of this podcast. I also am the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation, and we are a uh, web-based uh, content management system for uh, managing uh, online PR campaigns, internet press rooms, uh, new media uh, initiatives, and what have you. Uh, I am also personally and professionally fascinated at, uh, well, at how things are changing in this world today with respect to uh, traditional media migrating online. Um, uh, one thing I want to mention before we, uh, before we play the ad and then go to the interview with uh, Jonathan Uh, If you're interested in learning more about blogging and podcasting and social media and uh, if you're uh, close enough to Los Angeles, um, I'm going to be teaching a class. I've actually been asked to teach the first class at UCLA Extension on on New Media for Public Relations. And that class is going to start on January 24th. It's going to run five Wednesday nights, uh, 7 p.m. each night. We're going to bring in some great guest speakers. Uh, We're expecting to have Sally Falco come in, talk about blogging, Phil Gomes, uh, talk about blogging. Uh, We're going to bring in Tim Borkwin, uh, original podcast brother, talk about podcasting. Uh, Rob Barrett, who's the GM of uh, latimes.com, has agreed to come in and talk to us. Uh, Dan Class, who is the uh, producer and host of uh, The Bitterest Pill, is going to come in and talk to the class. We may do a field trip. I'm really looking forward to it. So if you're interested in that, you can get more information at www.schwartzmanpr.com. And now uh, we are going to play for you the interview with uh, Jonathan Nelson after
0: this ad. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on even when you're off.
1: Jonathan, thanks for taking the time to do this. Thanks for having me. So now, in addition to your uh, achievements and position as Chairman of the Board of Organic, uh, you're also
2: involved with Accru Software. Tell us about that. Accru was a business that spun out of Organic, I believe it was in 97 or 98. Sort of did the classic Web 1.0 round trip, went public, went private, uh, eventually sold the business off. So I'm not really involved in Accru anymore. But Accru was a, uh, well, actually is a, a Deep data mining product, looking at analytics, uh, web traffic.
1: And give me just a day in the life as,
2: as CEO of Organic. Uh, well, the CEO of Organic would wake up pretty early and get on the phone, usually with clients, or try to figure out the issues uh, with whatever's happening in the various offices. Lots of meals, lunches, dinners, that kind of thing. Um, meetings throughout the day. Fall, falsely pretty late, exhausted, and then rinse, repeat, do it all over again the next day.
1: And for those who don't know, just tell us a little bit about
2: Organic. Organic is, uh, I believe it was the first .com ever, founded in 93. Um, it is a hybrid technology design strategy firm doing focused on the buy side, so internet advertising, building very big websites for people like Sprint and uh, Daimler, Chrysler, uh, folks like that.
1: And do you manage those sites as well? Yep. You bet. How does that work? Is I mean, with respect to technology and creative and approval process, uh, how do you interface with the client to manage their online
2: presence? Well, usually a company like Organic is what's called agency of record, which means that we're basically the partner for domino or Bank of America, whomever. And as they have a business need, we'll strategize about it, try to figure out what they should actually be doing, figure out how to spec it out, what it's going to cost, what it's going to take to build it, Get client approval, then build it, and then maintain it. Quite often, as it as time marches forward.
1: So, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are open source enthusiasts. Yep. To what extent do you take advantage of open source versus proprietary software to build those sites?
2: Well, we do a mix of both. We're huge fans of open source. In fact, Apache, the web server, was organics uh, proprietary web server that we put up in the public domain in ninety, I believe it was in ninety four. So, you know, one of the seminal pieces of software on the net is actually founded by organic, huge open source developers. But occasionally a client will demand a Microsoft platform or another platform, and we're compliant and do that stuff as well. Walk us through the politics behind
1: choosing the software platform. Uh, How does that work? I mean, say, for example, you know for a fact the open source solution is going to be a better one for them. But they're married to some back-end legacy software. How do you make a case for doing it your way?
2: Well, it depends. I, I mean, I take a bit contrarian point of view, and even though I come from San Francisco and Silicon Valley, I, I believe that you shouldn't let the tail wag the dog. I mean, software is just a tool, and quite often the tools are chosen for you. So if it's a big you know, Microsoft shop, we don't really wade in and try to get them to think differently about it too much, I mean, it, it, some some of these decisions become almost religious in nature for organizations. If somebody's making a design decision fresh from a clean start, and they have the ability to handle a Linux solution or any kind of open source solution, we may push for that um, if it's appropriate. I mean, it really depends on who the, who the client is. Are there instances with your clients where
1: they're contributing to the content as well on oh, the yeah. site? Yeah, yeah, you bet. And are they doing it themselves? Are they able to log in and do it themselves? Are they emailing a file to you? How does that work?
2: Uh, Quite often there is a publishing tool that sits on the back end, and so the clients are encouraged. In fact, a lot of what we do is the training to put up content, and then also teaching organizations about editorial processes and sign-offs and things like that, which are a really big deal to make sure not just that things get up on the net, but the right things get up on the net. So a sign-off from legal, for instance, or you know, whatever it takes, huge part of it. And that's all done with publishing systems. And do you, any of these publishing systems, are, are they proprietary software that Organic is built? What's available? Uh, I'm not as familiar as this as I once was, but it runs the gamut from prepackaged software all the way down to little widgets that, Come off the shelf at organic, um, open source stuff as well. I mean, there's all kinds of publishing solutions out there.
1: And when uh, the client comes up and says, hey, you know, we need some sort of a service level agreement,
2: what is provided? Uh, well, it's quite natural that the client would want a service level agreement, so you hammer it out with them and say, okay, you'll get, for this amount of money, you'll get this level of service. And whether that's a dedicated series of individuals or just people on call or just the right to call occasionally, I mean, we do all of the above
1: sort out the hosting for us what if the client wants to host internally but wants to use
2: you guys to provide the services that you do provide well fortunately most i mean because we're working on the net it really doesn't matter where the the physical boxes are located i mean we don't we host very little uh, at organic Um, we in turn host outside as well so whether it's at the client's place as long as we have access to those boxes um, or at some colo facility doesn't matter to us but but in some cases
1: you guys are hosting internally you do have a colo facility where you're hosting yeah we do we do yeah we have a colocation facility that we do some hosting it's rare though so now let's say for example a big 4500 company comes to you and they are in dire need of being more aggressive with their online marketing and online presence, sure. but they're resistant to social media because they are concerned that they may lose control of their message. They have some of these sort of old media concerns sure. uh, that are sort of preventing them from taking advantage of new media. How do you deal with that? The fact that you're going to have to educate the client. How do you make that a profitable
2: engagement? Well, there's, you almost asked two questions. One is, how do you, and you use the right word, educate the client, so kind of bring them up the curve and get them to understand that, regardless of whether they're part of the dialogue, that people are talking about them. I mean, particularly if you're a Fortune 500 company, you're affecting a lot of people's lives. The second thing is, in order to get paid for it, you know, you just, you hopefully sign some sort of contract and are getting paid to do that education or that consulting. But um, it's an interesting thing that, I believe that in late 2006 and 2000, uh, or actually 2000, late 2005. 2006 is really the dawn of social media in a really big way, you know, the, the advent of MySpace and YouTube and people really interacting and the way that it is affecting brands is profound. So almost all of our clients are participating at some level or another, and I think that they're finding it is very reasonably priced. And while they may not like everything that's said about them, that there's a really open and honest dialogue that's going on with their, with their customers online.
1: So much of uh, what's happening with social media and new media seems undeniable. We read about it in the paper and business publications. But the fact of the matter is there remain a good portion of the population that don't use the Internet daily and aren't connected 24-7. So when you look at the big picture and you ask yourself, well, I've got a consumer product, Uh, I'm going to release it in this quarter and I need to raise awareness quickly, Um, how would you?" Uh, divide the amount of money you spend in traditional media, say, like electronic and print, versus new media. Is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? Is it 80-20? And I, I realize there's no one answer that's going to sure. work for everything, but if you could walk us through your thought process by how you sort strategically in your mind, leading a client down the road, of deciding how much of that money to spend on new
2: media. Well, the first thing you do is you look at the, the product. And you say, okay, who is this product oriented towards? So, if it's oriented to an audience, say of 18 to 24 year olds, which is the classic young, younger person demographic, I mean, you've just naturally skewed pretty heavily online. Uh, you also look at, is this a, a global product or is this a domestic product? And um, then beyond that, do, you, do, is it a highly considered purchase, like a computer or a car or a financial service of some sort. So you have a lot of backstory to tell, which the internet is is brilliant at helping people make complex decisions. Or is it a consumer packaged good? You know, like, is it a new type of bleach? I mean, really, what are you going to say about bleach? I mean, it makes your shirts whiter. <laughs> it, it really depends on the product and who the audience is. And then after you look at the product and audience, you look at the client and say, okay, how experimental is this client? How, how willing are they to adapt and evolve midstream as this thing evolves? I mean, one of the brilliant things about internet marketing and one of the curses of internet marketing is the cycle is very, very quick because you can see exactly what's happening in real time. You know exactly how well you're performing in terms of your marketing message. So if, you, if you're using that data to your advantage, you're turning the crank and evolving the cycle really quickly. So you're shifting and allocating budgets almost on the fly, buying in the spot market so that you can both evolve your message but evolve your media buys as you move along. So for, uh,
1: um, let's say, a product category that's traditionally thought of as being advertised on mainstream media like a packaged good, uh, an impulse item, something that low cost, not of a considered purchase. Um, How much of that is done online? I mean, and i know you can't give me an exact number but can you give me a range
2: well i think people are really figuring out how to do that when the when the net first started it was more on the considered purchase side as i talked about before computers cars mortgages i mean things like that really lend themselves to the internet as it's as the net has evolved and particularly as broadband has come about you see forms of internet marketing which are more advertising oriented in fact Uh, At Omnicom, we just acquired a company called EVB Evolution Bureau, which is brilliant. I mean, they do Orbit Gum, and some of their work is some of the most engaging, funny. You know, it really is just brilliant broadband work. And that wouldn't have happened five years ago in a narrowband environment, but it's very much happening today. As to a percentage, I don't know the exact percentage, but you're seeing more and more of those CPG or consumer packaged goods companies coming online and doing those brand experience engagement projects.
1: What's uh, another uh, sort of um, uh, implementation question, uh, considering the use of Flash? Obviously, the use of Flash quite popular on websites now, um, but um, still we're seeing uh, some frustrations uh, with from the search engines with respect to indexing that content. Um, do you advise clients to stay away from Flash? Do you like Flash? Does it have a place? Is it a complication? Um, any general thoughts
2: on that? Love Flash. I mean, I always have loved Flash and, you know, Ajax. Anything that is going to make the experience more intuitive, so having an interface that evolves and adapts to the user, whether it be a calendaring application for, say, an airline as you're making reservations or just something that's fun and engaging uh, for, say, Orbit Gum. Flash is, is really compelling as is Ajax for, for doing those, those interfaces. Um, and particularly as most of the world is shifting rather rapidly towards a broadband environment, I'm less concerned about people's ability to see that. In terms of indexing regarding the search engines, I think that's really just about meta-tagging things and making sure that the search engines can see what the content is, uh, and that is done with meta-tagging.
1: What is the importance of SEO with respect to various kinds of content that aren't text-based, and and I mean. How much room for growth do you think there is? It seems to be pretty difficult to find content, specific content that you're looking for online. I mean, certainly if you're looking to buy tires, it's easy to find a place to sure. buy tires. But if I wanted to research you, Jonathan Nelson, I mean, you <laughs> have a, a pretty common name. A yeah. lot of Jonathans, a lot of Nelsons. So if I wanted to find something that you said at a particular time, I probably would be pretty challenged uh, with Google or Yahoo to find it. I might need a service like Factiva or LexisNexis or sure. something like that. So what, what's the, what, where is the opportunity, as you see it, with respect
2: to advertising and SEO moving forward? Well, just a, a brief note on Jonathan Nelson. The, the most interesting Jonathan Nelson out there is a Trekkie who writes all kinds of conspiracy theories about various Star Trek episodes, which occasionally gets sent to me in jest by people. In terms of searching. It really is, it's up to companies to meta-tag their data so that it, it is easily found, and I think as customers or searchers are not stupid, they're figuring out, you know, if you wanted to search for me, you'd probably type, if you knew anything about me, you'd say, Jonathan Nelson Organic, and then you'll narrow the search down rather quickly. But you know, the search engines are getting smarter. The clients and companies like us are getting smarter at meta-tagging things, and I think the audience is getting smarter by by doing more finely searching on things.
1: But the problem is, so many um, uh, companies might uh, use the metadata to try to lead people astray and bring them to their page, even if they don't have that exact content there. So it may be easy for me to find Jonathan Nelson Organic, but if someone said to me in passing, oh, I saw Jonathan when he was on CNBC and he said something about this company. If I want to pull that up, it's going to be a lot tougher for me.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure I have a real clean answer for you there. I mean, there are going to be people that are spoofing the meta tags, certainly. it's I think it's up to the search engines to try to filter it out and weight things differently. I mean, it's sort of a cat and mouse game when it comes to people that are trying to game the system and then people like Google and yahoo trying to f- to filter that out so that the searches are more relevant and weighted correctly. Do you think like the, some of the social uh, search tools that are out there like
1: social tagging, social bookmarking, um, dig, furl, these types of sites, do you think that might ultimately through um, the intelligence of
2: the intelligence
1: yeah, of the, the group, audience yeah do you think that might help
2: us yeah, through can, it or is yeah. that also dangerous? Well, so what are the dangers? Yeah I mean obviously you can game that stuff too. but I think all of these things, whether it be the community chipping in to help rank relevancy in regards to something like dig or whether it's a heuristic search, like a classic google thing i mean that's really a a game of waiting and trying to figure out now yes there will always be people that that figure out okay this is how they do it and here's how to how to play with the system but generally i think it does help you find information better and better and all you know keep in mind that nothing is static here which is one of the most brilliant things about the internet it's all evolving really rapidly so what the right balance is and how this works i'm not sure but you know we're slowly or actually rather quickly grappling our way towards the future here. So given your perspective,
1: First.com, you've been doing this for a long time, and you're, you, you said when we just started, social media just starting to take off late 05 and 06. How has the introduction uh, of social media change the way you do your business with respect to the services you provide. I've got to think as a CEO, you're looking at a financial statement and you're seeing revenues coming from different services you provide. And what I'm really interested to know here is PR as a subset of advertising. Have you seen your amount of activity grow in that area as a result of social media?
2: Well, the answer is yes, we have seen growth. Is it a huge part of uh, contributing to the top line of the various businesses that we're involved with. No, it's it's not. I mean, one thing about social media by nature is it's pretty much free, and uh, it is fairly straightforward and fairly easy to do. I mean, that is in contrast to a really huge media buy or a really large technology build. I mean, that's really where the dramatic revenues come from. The question, I think, should be one of what is the effect, and I think social media mixed in with traditional media buying and a really great back-end commerce system. I mean, all of these things are what create great web presences for large companies.
1: So, final question. Sure. Of everything you're working on now, is there any project that combines both traditional and new media together that you're most proud of?
2: Oh, gosh. Or well, any one well, that you're proud of. Well, almost all things these days have... I mean, one of the really interesting things that's happened in the past couple of years is, I, I, I use this phrase, which is the Internet has, and web marketing has come off the island. In the earliest days of this, in the 90s, the web was very independent. We were very independent companies, and, and people sort of looked at us as this oddball curiosity at first, and then they looked at us with jealousy as the stock market took off, and then they kind of wished we went away as it crashed today it's come uh, web marketing in companies like ours have come off the island, and you know new media is not new anymore it's become hugely mainstream. There are something like a billion people on the net um, if you look at that younger eighteen to twenty four old demographic, people are using the net they're not watching television as a result, almost every media campaign that's done right now has an online as well as an offline component. And really, one of the things that we're working on pretty dramatically right now is trying to figure out, okay, what is television good for? For instance, television has huge reach. I mean, you can aggregate massive audiences using television. So is television the right medium to do large reach branding? And then can we drive people to the Internet to actually help upsell or cross-sell the product and actually consummate a transaction, and then keep a relationship with the customer. I mean, those are the kinds of contemporary ideas. But almost every campaign that, that Organic uh, is involved with right now has an offline media component to it. I, I said that was
1: the last question. I have one more. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the newest issue of Wired Magazine. I have. Uh, have you read this uh, the story by uh, Bob Garfield on, on YouTube? I did, yeah. Okay, so the question is... Was 1.6 worth it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, no question. I I take a contrarian view on this. Everybody is obsessed with $1.65 billion as a number, which, don't get me wrong, it's an astounding number. But the reason I believe so many people are obsessed with it, and Garfield talked about, like, it's, it's 37 Mervyn's stores in his article. Yeah, it's uh, empirically true. It is the equivalent of what Target paid for Mervin's. It's 37 times that. Um, It really wasn't about that. My guess is somewhere at the Googleplex, Schmidt and the guys from Google sat down and said, is YouTube worth 1% of our company? And my belief is, yeah, YouTube was probably worth 1% of Google at that time. And then you get that added bonus, which is on the day they did it, I think they paid $1.65 billion for, for YouTube. And then their, their market cap went up $8 billion that day. So the stock market clearly rewarded them for doing the deal. You know, $1.65 billion, yeah, it's, it's better than a sharp stick in the eye. But it's, it's really not about the money, it's about the percentage.
1: Jonathan Nelson, Chairman of the Board of Organic, thanks for joining us. Thank you.